Father, I thank you that Paul was able to do this, that he argued persuasively uh, for the truth of the gospel. He spoke boldly, and he was able to convincingly communicate the truths of your word so that those might be saved. I pray that you would help us to be evangelists right where we are, not worrying about what we might say, but you bring all things to remembrance. And I pray for Tim specifically, that you would open up his heart and his mind, that he would see the error in the Latter-day Saint theology, and that he would turn to you. I pray that you would draw him back. And Father, I, I pray that you would draw us closer to you as well, through the workings of your Holy Spirit in us, to teach us, to to plant your truth deep within our hearts, that we might bring it forth at any moment that you desire, that we can be an encouragement or give correction or an admonition, admonishment, whatever it might be, to those who are around us. And we wish to do this for your glory, and we wish to be submitted to you in this. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul was able to do this, argue convincingly, and that's what we left off with last time, uh, of the truths in Scripture, and he won a large number of converts in whatever city he would go to. If he remained for a specific period of time, he'd go to the synagogues, and then usually he'd end up with the Gentiles, the God-fearers that were there as well. And there was tremendous fruit from what he did. But then we left off with extraordinary miracles done by Paul. And it says in verse 11 of chapter 19, it says, God did extraordinary or unusual miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. So how did this work exactly? If you were like me when you were growing up, my father, when he would put on a suit, and he rarely did so, but when he put on a suit, there'd be something in his pocket. It was a handkerchief. They used handkerchiefs at that time. I never could get behind that, using it on your nose, sticking it in your pocket, and carrying it around, but that's what they did during that generation. And it's different now, but these handkerchiefs, or it could be a scarf, something more around your neck, or to wipe your forehead, or whatever the case might be. You know, the one that Paul had, it was given to people to take to other individuals, and they'd be healed, or demons would leave. So how how is this possible? And if you look at Scripture, there's some strange things that took place as far as healing goes. For instance, in Acts chapter 5, verse 15, it was the shadow of Peter that would land on people and heal them. As he had just walked by, if his shadow hit them, they got healed. It's pretty amazing. A shadow healed them. Then Jesus, you know, Jesus didn't need to do anything to heal people. But in Mark chapter 7, verse 33, he walks up to a guy who's deaf and mute. He sticks his fingers in his ears and he touches his tongue. Did he have to do that? No, but he did that. Now, I don't recommend you do that. Uh, you know, walk up to people and stick your fingers in their ears and touch their tongue. But also, remember, people begged Jesus that they might just touch the cloak, his, his garment, 
And in doing so, they got healed. And that's a Syrophoenician woman. She was healed with the issue of blood. And then another time, which was, I think, the most bizarre, is Jesus came to a blind man. And the blind man wanted to receive his sight. So what does Jesus do? He spits on the ground. Now, how much spit do you have to spit on the ground to make mud? Yeah, I'm thinking about this. Okay, this is the Messiah, the creator of the world. He decides right on the ground, then he picks it up. And he kind of works it around a little bit. He goes, come here. And so the blind man comes up to him and he starts putting it in his eyes like that. He goes, now go wash in the pool of Siloam. And he was healed from that. Now, did Jesus have to do that in order to heal the blind man? No, he didn't. And I'm thinking, what? why did he do these particular things? These were really unorthodox. How Jesus decided to not only heal himself, but have his apostles heal those who he sent out, you know, the two-by-twos. And it, it's just kind of interesting. But why did Jesus do these things like this? Why does God decide to perform miracles through such means? I'm just going to tell you straight out, I don't know. I don't know why he would do this. But I do know this. It was not for him, but it was for the sake of the people that he did it, that he performed these things. Because he didn't need to do that. I mean, he could just speak it and it would happen. He didn't even have to speak it. Remember the servant of the centurion? Centurion says, oh, you don't have to come. Just say the word. He goes, wow, I haven't seen such great faith in all of Israel. And it doesn't even say he prayed to have him healed. He was just healed. And, And so Jesus doesn't need these things, but certainly we do. Now, one commentator said, well, it's it's a point of connection. It's something that we need. We need something tangible to be able to make the connection to what God might do because of our weaknesses, because of the lack of faith that we may possess. I can remember a couple of times Chuck Smith, who was the founder of Calvary Chapel, he related this story when he was alive at a couple of pastor's conferences. And he said, this one woman early in the years of his ministry wanted to have the gift of tongues. And so she would pray earnestly for the gift of tongues. And she just wasn't getting it. And she went to Chuck, and I think Chuck prayed for her, and maybe she had other people pray for her, but she never received the gift of tongues, like the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gift of tongues. And so he relates this story that she went home, and she was just earnestly seeking God because she wanted the gift of tongues. And as she was in this particular room, she felt this warm wind come over her. And as this warm wind came over her, she instantly started speaking in tongues. And she related it to the wind of the Holy Spirit coming upon her. And she was able to speak in tongues. And she was just giving a praise report to Pastor Chuck. But then she said, but then I realized... I was sitting below the heater vent and the heater came on and the wind hit me and that's what it was. And so she had this point of connection that enabled her to speak in tongues. It did something for her. Now, we oftentimes, we might need this point of connection. Have you ever asked God, if you do this, God, then that will mean I go in this direction or do this thing. Kind of like putting out a little fleece, whatever it might be. 
And if you decide to do that, if you ever decide to put out a fleece, just make sure that it, the answer has to be supernatural. You can't say something like, God, if I see a red car, then I know. You know no, you can't, you can't do that. Uh, it has to be something that only God can answer. And you don't tell anybody, and then God answers it. Okay, that, that's an affirm- affirmation on a fleece. But what about these handkerchiefs and aprons and vials of oil and miracle water and all of these things that the televangelists promote out there? And there's a list of these things. Like I said, anointing oil. Or how about uh, if you send money in, you can get a sling and a stone. And just like David, you can slay your giants and just send in the money and we'll send you this sling and stone. Or the handkerchiefs. uh, Several of the televangelists have said, you just send in your money and whatever ails you, you just put this handkerchief on it. You carry it around with you. And you will not only have healing, but you will have prosperity come your way as well. But just send in your money and then we'll send you this handkerchief. Or maybe you've heard this one about the shower cap with a handprint on it. You know, because it symbolizes somebody placing their hand on you or Jesus placing his hand on your head and praying for you that prosperity would come and healing would come. So all you have to do is put the shower cap on with a handprint on it and you'll be good. But just send in your money. Or you've heard me talk about the other one, the wallet, the faith wallet. Just when you get it, when they send it to you, put your $100 in there and send it back. And and then money will be multiplied back to you. And Chuck Smith also related this particular one. He he thought when he got this uh, advertisement from a televangelist, he thought, well, why doesn't the televangelist just put his own $100 in there and wait for the money to be multiplied? And, you know, it'll be good. And, And then there's this other one. Miracle manna. It is matzah in a baggie. And you can send away to Peter Popoff for the miracle manna. And this is what it promises if you buy the miracle manna. Number one, based on the claims of this video, miracle manna is a cake from heaven that empowers you to do God's will. Also note that the Holy Spirit instructed Popoff and team to misspell the words empowered, which should now be corrected in a dictionary as empowered. They spelled it wrong. You know, they got this wrong, sending it out. Of course, God's perfect, and he wouldn't allow things like this to happen. Secondly, according to the testimony of fake people in the video, it also causes people to write large checks to you for no reason. You know, and then the third one, all your dreams will come true. If you just have the miracle manna in the video screenshot that I saw, he's holding up this little cracker. It's like a saltine cracker in a baggie. And all you have to do is send away for that. You write your checks, huge checks, for unknown reasons because you get in this miracle power in this miracle manna. And then there's the miracle spring water. And the promise with this is it will allow you to have all of God's riches and blessings bestowed upon you if you have the miracle water. It will heal your body. You will receive checks for no reasons in large amounts if you have this miracle water. And you will have total victory in every area of your life. All you need to do is write the check and send for the miracle water. This is just a bunch of rubbish. It's bunk. It's malarkey. It's hogwash. Now get a visual on hogwash, what that is. 
<clears throat> this, the people that do this are trying to capitalize. They're trying to make money on something that is in the scriptures. And whenever people try to fund or get rich on these types of things, I think they're false teachers. And even one of the teachers that I know that I really appreciate, he's gone to this thing on YouTube where he will give 12 or 13 minutes of of a prophetic update. But then if you want to know the rest, you can subscribe for $7 a month and you can go to the pay side. And I thought to myself, and I really like this guy, and I thought to myself, you're trying to make money off of people's weaknesses because they want to know maybe what is in the future. And the Word of God came to us free, and I believe we're supposed to give it free. Now, if you're doing it to cover some cost, I get that. And I don't care if anybody says, if you'd like to support the ministry, go ahead and send in an offering. Uh, We'd appreciate your support, something like that. But to require people to pay for what God might be saying to the church, I have an issue with that. I think we're supposed to do this freely. And that is copying what the world does. The world will give you a snippet on YouTube, maybe 45 minutes, and they'll say, now for the next half hour, if you get on the pay side, you can have the information that we're willing to provide for you. And I think for us as Christians, we shouldn't be doing that. Now, it may be, it may be possible to receive healing through objects, but the objects do not possess the power to heal. <clears throat> Many people mistake this. If you go to verse 11... It says, God did extraordinary or unusual miracles through Paul. It was through Paul. It was not through the object. Now, how how is it that God performed these miracles? It, It was still through the power of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit being in the life of Paul and the faith that Paul had and the faith that these people had. That's how it happened. So it's not the object that performs this. Also, if you are paying money to receive an item that promises healing or prosperity or any other thing, consider it to be snake oil. Now, that's a term that goes back quite a bit. If you told kids today, oh, that's just snake oil, they would go, it's what? And it's supposed to come from originally the Chinese water snake. They get oil from the snake. They put it in a bottle and it has all kinds of healings effects in your body. And if you just take the snake oil, it'll be okay. And these things are just, they're a ruse. They, they want to mislead you. They just want money from you. And they're trying to sell you something in order to deceive you to purchase that thing to enrich them. So if anything in Christendom comes along and you decide, well, I'd like to have that because it will inure good luck and good fortune to me, you're doing yourself a disservice. You're wasting your money. That stuff doesn't come that way. Now, has there ever been a healing because somebody bought a prayer cloth and they got it and they placed it on something and they got healed? There probably is. But, you know, I wouldn't trust that to be from God. I could trust that definitely to be from the deceiver. And then you'd put your trust in this televangelist who would just make millions of dollars. I think it was uh, one of the televangelists, he was just able to purchase a $19.4 million Gulfstream jet. You know, for getting around, he already owns 
$450 million in the bank. And it's just, why? Why would we, we can't take any of that stuff with us. Not that you can't be wealthy, you can. But when you do it on the backs of people, especially backs of Christians. Now, Christians, I think we as a whole tend to be a little more gullible than we should be because after all, we're called sheep. You know, and we act like sheep. And we have to be prepared for those who are out there who would have a tendency to deceive us, the false teachers, and they prey on our emotions. Now, the church is not the only one who does this. The world does this all the time. I've heard a commercial recently on the radio, and it's two people talking back and forth. A telemarketer calls up somebody and says, you have just won a trip to the Caribbean. Oh, that's fantastic, the person says. We just need a little information. Let's start with your social security number. You're being deceived if you give that kind of information. Or maybe some of the texts that have come through that you've gotten on your phone. You need to contact us immediately. And whoever the person or the entity might be and it could be something related to what you already have it could be a credit card or someone like that and they just say you need to verify your information just put your social security number your date of birth your full name and all that stuff in there and it's okay we can handle it from here and you're just giving away your information to where they can defraud you and get into your bank account and take all your money well i I ran across this article while doing this study this was posted in the New York Post, June 29th, 2023. And what this is, is a microscopic Louis Vuitton style handbag. And it sold for $63,000 and it's so small it will fit through the eye of a needle. But have no fear, you get a microscope with it so you can see it. And, and it's like, who thinks of this stuff? I, I would hate to hold that little handbag and, and it shows a picture of it being on like the tip of the finger. I'd hate to hold that there and it and, and, and just goes away, you know. It's like a, people get deceived all the time. And where did I put that purse? I, I can't remember where I put that purse. And so people just want to deceive. Now, when this happened in the New Testament times, it was a glorious thing. And it spoke of the testimony of God and his power. And it's great. Today, I think it is so misused, especially in the United States. Now, could this happen in a region that maybe the gospel hasn't gone out where they don't know who Jesus is? I think it's more likely to happen in some place like that. I hear on occasion miracles that take place like this in, in far, the far reaches of South America or Africa or Asia where not many people go, that there are miracles that happen, people being raised from the dead and just just the unusual. Here, I don't think we need the unusual. We have God's word. If you remember in the Gospel of Luke, you have Abraham's bosom and Lazarus, the poor man. And the rich man who is in the part of hell where he's being tortured because he had a wonderful life, riches, but now he didn't accept God. And and so he's languishing in hell and waiting for the great white throne judgment. And he says over to Father Abraham, they're able to communicate back and forth. And he says, Father Abraham, just please send somebody back from the dead to tell them, my relatives, about the truth. And Abraham basically says, 
They have Moses and the prophets. If they won't believe Moses and the prophets, they're not going to believe a miracle either. And a wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, a miracle. So I don't think we need that. We have God's word. It tells us what's going on. We can rely on that. And if God wants to do a miracle because of his word, he can do it at any time. It doesn't have to be some object that is there. We don't have to put faith or trust in an object. And we are so evil anyhow. What do you think would happen if we had the original garment of Jesus or if we had the handkerchief that was used or if we could somehow bottle Peter's shadow and take it around. We would make it an idol. It would be an icon. We would worship that thing and we'd make a whole construct around it. The sisters of the holy shadow of Peter, you know, something like that. that would, and, and you would give money to that effort. And, and we should not be deceived in this. Occasionally, I, I will turn to the televangelists and just see what they're teaching, and is it good or is it not good? And I never fail to be disappointed that it's not good. There, there's a lot of truth with error, just enough error in there. <clears throat> when um, I, I go to Cambodia and Africa and different places, and we do ministry work, uh, Pastor Drew, who we go with uh, most of the time, he will give this illustration. He will say, you know, if somebody took a cup of pure water and you were really thirsty and you saw that water and you go, oh, I'd really like a drink of that water. But then the person holding the cup of water goes over to the universal rundle, another name for a toilet, dips their finger in the water in the toilet and just one drop goes into the cup. Would you drink that cup? Just, it's just one drop out of the whole cup, but that's what the televangelists are like. You'll hear a lot of truth, but then there's going to be cyanide or toilet water that's in there, and it's just enough to make you sick, and it can actually lead you away from the truth of Jesus Christ. So you have to be careful. I remember when Patty and I were just starting out together, we would sit and watch a couple of televangelists. And, you know, for the most part, it's like, okay, Sounds good, you know, and go from there. And then you just watch them a little bit longer and you get into them a little bit more and you go, wow, there's some real error here. So this snake oil is a fraudulent concoction that promises cures and it's just a way to separate you from your money. Now going on here in verse 13, some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, Sceva means left-handed or mind reader, a Jewish chief priest were doing this. Uh, That's who Sceva was. He was a Jewish chief priest. One day, verse 15, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? Then the men who had the evil spirit, jumped on them and overpowered them all, all seven of them. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Now, that is one powerful demon. The stories that can be told of the huge power of a demon inside of a person, it's a supernatural power that is there. Uh, It's not just in one case. There are several testimonies about this. 
Uh, one was Dr. Walter Martin, the late Dr. Walter Martin. Uh, I once saw him in person at Calvary Chapel La Mesa, and he did a lot of good. He was the original Bible answer man, and he had a tape on a woman who was demon-possessed that was in a church, serving in a church, uh, teaching Sunday school. And she was a small uh, Asian or Filipino woman, uh, just barely five foot. And there were four or five men that came to their house one night to pray for her uh, because she was acting out the demon and four or five men could hardly hold her down. Uh, she would keep on getting up and he describes this and it was a cassette tape at that time. You guys know what those are, cassette tapes? It was in a cassette tape at that time and I listened to the whole thing. It was just kind of fascinating. Uh, what Dr. Walter Martin taught on that. So <clears throat> there are testimonies about this. But they felt they could appropriate the power of Jesus through a formula. And the formula was, they would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. If they just say these certain things, then they'll get the desired result of having the demon be exercised from the person. But they were not believers, they had not received the Holy Spirit, and they had no power in themselves to deal with the spiritual realm or demons. The people of this world who do not have the Holy Spirit of God have no power whatsoever to resist the spiritual realm of darkness, which is demons and Satan's. Uh, who was there they must have surmised that they were doing the will of God by trying to cast out demons because they were Jews and they understood there are demons and so they see this person who's demon possessed well let's go over there and pray for this demon to be cast out and they were trying to be moral without the Holy Spirit of God and the world will say that even atheists will say we're moral we just don't believe in God and that's a whole nother subject that's a philosophical argument you cannot have true transcendent uh, morality without there being a God if you think about it if there is no God how do you determine what right and wrong is the majority of the people out there will say well it's what society decides Really? How about you go to China right now and how many millions of slaves do they have because society has decided that that's the way to go? Or you go to Africa because your EV vehicle, your electric vehicle, needs cobalt uh, to operate and they have children by the thousands working in mines to bring out cobalt. They're using the child labor, which in this country we detest, but you have to buy the EV vehicle. You know, that's what society has decided. And it's just being flipped on its head. These people who claim they're moral and doing good, but yet they're perpetrating evil. Even scripture talks about this, that our righteousness is as menstrual cloths. This is in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. We think that we're doing good, even if we don't have God, but the good we think we're doing is of the filthiest uh, type of thing it can be. And God says, that's what the righteous so-called works are of those who don't have God in their lives, who don't believe in Jesus Christ. So if a person tries to be moral in all that they do, but they do not have God's spirit, they are not saved, which means most of the world. Most of the world has a standard of right and wrong. We know that scripture tells us God has written that standard on our hearts. And we have to deny it to do what is wrong. 
But most everyone would agree throughout all cultures and all times, murder is wrong. It's an absolute truth. Murder, not killing, but murder. Just going up and taking somebody's life, it's wrong. Except for psychotics and their mind is is tilted and they, they really don't understand things correctly. Or you, you can have a woman, if you're a man, you can have a woman as your wife, but you can't have any woman as your wife. You can't just go say, oh, I'd like this woman. Or same thing with a woman. Uh, a woman can say, I would like a husband, but you can't have any husband that you want. You, you have to go along with what society says is moral. But that morality is being taken away. It's, it might makes right. Whatever the society decides, that's what's going to be moral. Ultimately, that leads to anarchy, where everybody does what is right in their own eyes. And this was the case in the time of Noah. And God told us it will be that case at the end times. And we are heading there like a bullet train in Japan. We are, we are just going very fast in that direction. Morality is being flipped on its head, or I should say absolute morality is being flipped on its head. And the moral or virtuous person without Christ will not go to heaven. If you ever turn and say, well, that they're a good person, you know that that's not true. You've heard me say there's only one who is good. Scripture says this, and it is God. God is the only one who is good. All the rest of us, we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Verse 17, when this became known to the Jews and Greeks, well, what became known? The beating that the sons of Sceva had endured. They were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. This is the equivalent of 138 years of a normal laborer. That's how much money was wrapped up in these scrolls. Now, there were those who became believers that had practiced this sorcery or what is known as the curious arts. Black magic, whatever you might want to call it, it being involved in uh, the practice of communicating with demons and necromancy, all of these things. And it's about using incantations or spells or amulets to either ward off evil spirits or to bring about a desired result. Now, you guys have all heard of love potion number nine. You know, where you, you mix something together and they make movies about this. That, and if you just drink it, but be careful to drink it in front of the person you want to fall in love with. Because if it's a dog, then, you know, this is really going to be a big problem. It has to be that person. Love potion number nine. <clears throat> and, of course, there were antidotes for that. But this idea back then in Ephesus, you had these magical arts, this idea of being in touch with that which is in the spiritual realm that would cause favor to go your way. Now, they would have amulets, talismans. They would use spells and incantations. They would have magical formulas. They would use crystals and charms and gemstones. 
all of these things. It sounds like you just go to a city fair uh, down in Lakeside or El Cajon and you can get all of these things. Or there, there would be a spell that would be written on a parchment of some type that would be rolled up and that would be put in a little flask and they'd wear that around their neck and they thought that that would bring protection, that it would be okay and they wouldn't have to worry about being harmed by any spiritual realm behind them. And we do this in the church. Historically, the church has done this where we have these indulgences inside the church. And this comes from the Catholic church where if you uh, buy a bone of an ancient saint, that's going to inure to your benefit and maybe less time in purgatory, which is a Catholic doctrine, you will have some type of benefit as a result of buying one of these indulgences or paying uh, the priest or the church for an indulgence. And what about, um, I, I can remember when I was a child, I found this little medallion and I thought it was kind of cool. And I thought, and it was on a chain. And I thought, hey, I could wear this. And so I put it on. And I, I think I was maybe a young teenager at the time. And I went home and my mother saw me and she goes, what's that? And I said, I, I don't know. I found this little medallion that says Christopher on it. And she goes, oh, a St. Christopher. Where'd you get that? And I told her where I got it. She goes, oh, yeah, that's a, that's a Catholic thing. Why do you wear a St. Christopher? Now, she didn't explain this to me at the time. But you wear a St. Christopher to protect you. You can be protected if you wear this little medallion. Well, what about St. Anthony of Padua? He's the patron saint of lost things. If you have his little medallion... You grab it when you lose something. You pray to the patron saint of lost things, Padua, and maybe he'll guide you to that lost thing. Or St. Lucy, the patron saint of eyesight, that she will protect your eye. If you have a little medallion and you carry it around your neck, you pray to St. Lucy, not Charlie Brown, but St. Lucy, and you say, you know, I need to see clearly, not just with my eyes, but with my mind as well. Or St. Raymond of Nonantus. He is the patron saint of childbirth, midwives, and children. If you just have that medallion, it'll be good. And some people want that point of connection, right? But what does it turn into? It turned into an idol where you're trusting in that thing. And that's, look, Catholic Church has lots of problems. Calvary Chapel has no problems whatsoever. And, and all the other churches are marginal. But you get the idea. We, we have these things that we set up and we decide as Christians we need these helps. Maybe you have a special Bible. It means a lot to you. And it... Maybe it doesn't bring you good luck, but blessing comes to you because you have that particular Bible. The first Bible that I got, that uh, it was the open Bible, King James Version. It was great. I loved that Bible, and I, I got a special cover for it, and I, I, I would carry it with me everywhere. It was big enough where I could use it, you know, as a weapon, and and I, I would I would carry it everywhere I went. I would take it in my truck when I would go to work. And then one day, Sunday afternoon, we were leaving church, and I put it on top of my car. It shortly became the Uniroyal edition. It fell off the car, and it ended up in the street, and a car ran over it, and there's a big tire mark to it. I still have it. It's 
my idol. You know, no, no, it's not. It, it, it's at my home. I have it. And at that particular time, it was like, no, my Bible. You know, I just, oh, I, I didn't want that to happen to the Bible. And well, it's no longer that special. It's one of the, it's the Uniroyal edition. And I'll pull it out from occasion, on occasion and look at it. But it was almost too special for me to hold that. It is the Word of God, and the words in it are what are sacred, not the paper, not the covering on the outside. It's the words that are sacred. And so these people, they had these incantations which were written down, these magical formulas, and these things can deal with real evil. I think there's no question about this because if you remember Janice and Jambres who gave Moses a hard time that Paul talks about, they were believed to be the two uh, magicians that changed the staffs into snakes and the blood. It's believed by tradition that those were the two guys. They had some real dark magic going on. And I, I think it's good to avoid that. God tells us just avoid all that stuff, astrology, the talking to the dead, all that, because he didn't say it wasn't real. He just said, don't mess with it. It'll mess you up. Well, we still have other things that we like to communicate to others. And innocently so, but we perpetuate it. We keep these superstitions going. I'm going to give you a little bit of a list. Have you ever found a four-leaf clover? It's going to bring you good luck. And you say that to a little grandchild and you hand it. So look four-leaf clover how about are ladybugs lucky there is you can get these little charms ladybugs and they're considered to be lucky and you would put that if you're a woman you put that on your charm bracelet what about your birth stones they're the birth stones of the zodiac and i forget what mine i don't know what it is but i once remember my mother telling me Unless your birthstone is opal, you don't want to wear opal because it will bring you bad luck. And I said, I didn't know that, you know, because I, I love the look of an opal. It looks great. Or what about now? I don't think any of you have this, a, a voodoo doll. You, you think it's going to bring you prosperity and hurt other people or bring blessing depending on their color and their shape and what you desire that they do. Or how about a laughing Buddha? Now, a laughing Buddha, it has its arms up and it's laughing. But if its arms down, it may not be as lucky as the laughing Buddha, which is there. Or have you ever gotten a money tree or a money plant? You know, the, the little bamboo one that, that spins around. And, oh, it's a money plant. You have money if you buy this. And it's like, well, what about, have you heard of this one? And if you buy a little elephant, make sure the trunk is up and not down. Because if the trunk is not up, then it's bad luck for you. Or what about step on a crack? Break your mother's back, right? Or if you break a mirror... Seven years bad luck. Have you heard this one? Itchy palms. You're going to come into money if you have itchy palms and it deals with greed, that type of thing. Or what about uh, don't open an umbrella inside? Uh, that would be terrible for you. Bad luck would come your way. Or what about 
knock on wood. You know, you have, oh, knock on wood. Now, who in here has not said that at some point? Say we're guilty. All of us are guilty. Oh, knock on wood. Like it's going to bring us good luck. Like it's a little formula that we can carry on. Um, going on to the list. Oh, where'd I go? Where's my list? Oh, it went all the way back to the beginning. The next one here is black cats. Have you ever avoided walking across a path that a cat has just walked in front of you? In, in some Asian countries, the white cats are the bad ones, not the black cats. Also, when I traveled, like I said, in uh, Cambodia, almost every business in every home, and they have businesses that sell these, the spirit homes. The spirit of the ancestors of your family will reside in those little spirit homes and they put incense and money and food every day in front of these little spirit homes which are there. Usually they're right outside at a 45 degree angle to the building or if you go inside, I've seen them in restaurants right next to the cashier, the little spirit homes that are there because they don't want the bad juju coming their way as long as they're uh, appeasing the spirits of the house. What about throwing salt over your shoulder? Have you ever heard that one? If you go back to the Last Supper that was painted, what, Michelangelo, did he do that, Last Supper? No, somebody did it, I forget who it was. But if you look at Judas, now if you're, if you're looking at the picture, if you're looking at the picture this way, he's the third person over on your left. And if you notice, right by, by his arm is a salt shaker which is spilled over, which was supposed to be bad luck for Judas. And of course, we know what happened to him. And so to keep bad luck from coming your way, if you spill salt, you pick it up and you throw it over your, your left shoulder. And that will keep the evil away. Uh, how about this one? Never walk under a ladder. Have you heard of that one? That's real common. Uh, have you ever found a lucky horseshoe? Uh, what about the number 13? Now, I haven't seen this yet, and every time I get into an elevator in a hotel, I look for it. Floor 13. It's not there. It goes from 12 to 14. Even the world buys into this. And who wants to stay on the 13th floor? <laughs> no one would want to go there. Or what about crossing your fingers? Cross your fingers. Cross your fingers, hope to die. Stick a needle in your eye, whatever the case was, you know. And then there, there were, there are literally hundreds of these things that are out there if you go around the world. I'm just going to give you five more hundreds of taboos from all over the world that will give you bad luck. If you go over to an Asian country, never put your chopsticks straight up and down in the rice. That's considered an offense and will bring bad luck. You're supposed to lay them down. Never whistle indoors. It can bring evil. Don't have seven children because it is the belief that the seventh child will turn into a werewolf. Wear, wear a lot of bells on your wedding day and tuck your thumbs when passing by a graveyard in Japan. Because if you tuck your thumbs, it protects your parents as you go past the graveyard. All of these super, and there's tons more of these. You're probably violating them just sitting here thinking. All of these taboos which are out there. 
And, and this is what the people relied on. Now, some of these, could they be real? Could they not be real? Well, it probably happened to somebody in the past that they walked under the ladder, they got hit with something, and never walk under the ladder is bad luck. Well, you think if anything is up there. We bring these things upon ourselves. We want to point a connection with the spiritual realm. We don't want bad things to happen to us, so we make up all of these things to protect us. And God doesn't want us to do that. And these people were giving up these things, and because they did, because they gave them up, they understood the power of God over the power of Satan, knowing that there is a spiritual realm that would seek to influence them in their behavior based on these things. And if you have these things, it changes your behavior, believe it or not. The people in Paul's day gave these up to the tune of 138 years of wages, and they set themselves apart for God. And because they did this, because they recognized the power of Jesus Christ in the same way, verse 20, it says, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Now, I I have a little more to say on this, but we'll have to save it for next week. You know, my, my prayer for everyone in here is that as I started out, we be bold in the faith, that we're able to argue persuasively without arguing that we know that in the past God used other items such as mud and garments and even fingers to do miracles, but it's the Holy Spirit who does the miracle through people. And we should not place faith in charms and superstitions and spells and chants or other actions or things to protect us from the unseen world. You don't have to do that. You can walk in peace with Jesus Christ knowing he is greater who is in us than he who is in the world. These things have no power over us unless God says, well, maybe it's a time of testing for you or for I. And he knows the outcome of that before it ever takes place. So we can trust in him. My prayer is that you're able to walk in the newness of life, forsake the things of the world. If you have these talismans or little things that you have set up, you're free to get rid of them. After all, we're not taking anything to heaven with us. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you for the insights that are given to us from Scripture, that we don't have to trust in anything or worry about evil coming our way because we didn't do something just right or we didn't have the right medallion or talisman or charm. I would ask, Lord, that we would be able to walk this life just completely trusting in you and not worry about the way the world thinks, but may our minds be transformed. May they be washed by your word. In Jesus' name, everyone said... Amen. Please stand.